This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening to the Sunday afternoon show with Maud. It is 5 p.m. today on Sunday the 3rd of July, and you can join me using the chat function. We can discuss today's topic, which is behavior in Malawi, with our guest, Chloe. Welcome! This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out, with Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon, fellow educators and dear listeners. This is my 12th radio show as a hostess, and I'm still very much delighted to share this exciting experience in your company. But first, I have to introduce myself. I'm a French citizen of French and West African ancestry. I have lived in the UK since 2008, and I'm a professional educator. I work in a secondary state school in North London where I teach languages as well as humanities. I teach French and Spanish, KS3 and 4, and also geography and history, KS3. I have also experience as a teacher in the charity sector. You can follow me on Twitter at profprofmfl. All views are my own. But first, I would like to just inform you that my voice might sound a little bit different in texture today. I have tested positive for COVID um, two days ago. It's my first time having COVID. I was very lucky I, I didn't get it so far. Now I'm part of the millions of people who have had this disease. So I'm feeling a little bit shaky. So bear with me, but I'm sure we'll go through today's um, talk. So today I want to focus on one topic that is relevant to me as an educator and also as a parent and personally in my daily working life. So the podcast and discussion will be on the topic of behavior but with a very different angle because today we're very lucky to be able to talk with uh, our guest who is Chloe. She'll join us in a moment and Chloe happens to be working in a secondary school but not in the UK in Malawi so this is opening up a lot of different questions already so today's topic is going to be mostly relevant to teachers and educators but also parents and anyone who is curious about education worldwide So before we dive into uh, describing the topic of the day, which is behavior in Malawi, I just wanted to look back on the news. It's been quite busy this week regarding news. I mean, we have COVID, which is 
coming back at the forefront of the news. As I say, I'm experiencing it now. Uh, in France, the seventh wave has developed and is surging. In England, I guess we are not seventh wave as well. It's coming. Hospital admissions are going very, very, very high. There is also talk about strikes in education um, in order to ask for a rise in wages. And there is also the very, very big worry of shortage of teachers. Now I'm talking about this not just because I'm centered on UK news, but it's the same in French news. We're lacking teachers, less and less teachers are staying and there's more and more teachers on contracts in France, for instance, whereas before they were all employed on as civil servants. So this is like a trend in Europe, less teachers, less willingness to stay in the profession. So this is quite a worrying picture. However, I will always want to give a little silver uh, line of, of good news. We are seeing more and more teachers using social media, Twitter, Teachers Talk Radio, and teachers who are trying to reflect on their job, on their vocation, on their professionalism. And with social media and the internet, they can get more skills and get even better at their jobs. So I admire teachers who are doing such a great job and trying to use the benefits of the World Wide Web. And this is what we're doing today. So I wanted to celebrate these teachers. Now let's focus on the topic of the day, which is behavior and with a particular perspective from Malawi. So for those who are unsure, uh, remember there's 54 countries in Africa, the biggest continent. Uh, Malawi is quite relatively a small country. It is um, just facing, if you, if you look at the map, it's facing um, Madagascar. Uh, and it has a lot of countries around it. So Malawi is um, has a border with Tanzania, Mozambique, and Zambia, and Zimbabwe. So it's quite surrounded. It's quite a small country. And um, if you want to know more, the population is estimated at 19 um, million people. And its capital is, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher the name, I don't really know how to pronounce it, so Ling Long Wei, this is the capital of Malawi. Um, mostly the people of Malawi since the 10th century are people who are descendants from the Bantu tribes. Malawi got colonized by the British Empire, but it became independent in the 60s in that big wave of independence from colonizing powers. Sadly, it was followed by a period of dictatorship. And now Malawi is a democracy with a multi-party republic. It is quite a rural country with a very high growing population. Uh, sadly, it is still one of the countries which is suffering from a lack of development. And its life indicators are quite striking. We still have a high child mortality, a low life expectancy. Saying that, the life expectancy women is increasing year on year. So this is something we need to say. As far as education is concerned, 
free primary education uh, was uh, started in 1994. So obviously it is very late, but it is still something to something laudable. And then compulsory primary education has been put in place since 2012. The youth literacy has benefited massively because now 75% of the youth has access to literacy since 2015. And uh, the only thing we need to worry about is attendance in secondary school. Only 25% of young people are going to secondary school in Malawi. And there's more boys represented in that um, attendance statistics than girls. The reason why is because schools can be quite far from the girls' home homes and uh, there is risks in undertaking the commute because of gender-based violence so this is definitely something we hope Malawi is going to work on access to education to secondary education for girls uh, in secondary schools so talking uh, to our guest Chloe so I'm gonna let her come and talk to us let me see if she's available there she is so Chloe um, just answered my um, appeal on Twitter and wanted to share with, with us her thoughts on education. And um, when I realized that she was actually working in Malawi, there were so many questions that came to my mind. So first, we're going to see if she can talk to us. Are you here, Chloe? Let's see. I'm going to invite her as a speaker. I can see she's logged on. Hopefully technology will be on our side. Haha. Not so sure. Let me try again. All right. Before I manage to get Chloe to talk to us, I'm just going to play the news so that you have something to listen to in the meantime. So let's listen to the news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development Every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible.
stevewoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to Program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit stevewoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half-term and join me for two days and receive up to £1,360 in bursary. Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at stevewoods.co.uk. Here at Witherslack Group, we are celebrating the launch of our new Luxborough Court School in Chickwell, Essex, with a very special one-day autism conference titled Enabling Inspirational Education. Taking place on Wednesday the 29th of June from 10am at Luxborough Court School, our event is dedicated to providing practical advice to education professionals working with neurodiverse children and young people. The event is free to attend and presentations on the day will focus on creating cultures of aspiration and excellence, supporting the emotional well-being of pupils, autism-friendly classrooms and managing challenging behaviour. So, whether you're looking to add to your extensive understanding or are new to SEN and wanting to build your knowledge, our conference will offer an amazing opportunity to engage with experts and network with colleagues from across the sector. Don't miss your chance to claim your free ticket and we hope you can join us for what's sure to be a fantastic day. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash events to register or contact events at witherslackgroup.co.uk for more information. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. TES magazine reports on new data highlighting the extent of the problems faced by early years settings. New Ofsted data shows recent changes in the number of early years provider places in England is just the latest in a series of surveys, reports and statistics showing the impact of underfunding. According to figures between April 2020 and March 2021, the number of providers fell by 4,000. When confronted by provider closures, the government has been accused of arguing that all is fine because overall places have remained stable. The article argues that this ignores significant regional disparities. The article quotes figures from the Early Years Alliance, which shows that almost half of all local authorities recorded a drop in early years places over the past five years. This, combined with research by the Education Endowment Foundation, which revealed that the percentage of children reaching expected levels of development in all areas of learning by the end of reception, had also dropped below pre-pandemic levels. Neil Leach from Early Years Alliance said that the figures should worry all educational professionals and called for government action on what he called a sustained lack of adequate funding. As the end of the academic year looms for many or has just begun, the leading news website in Wales is reporting on the public consultation planned for the new academic year. The new consultation is set to explore options for changes to school terms in order to support curriculum planning and delivery, tackle disadvantage and support learner and staff well-being. This would include consultation on the length of school terms and, as a result, on the length of holidays. The NASUWT union has already condemned the plans to restructure the school year. In Leicester, schools have been growing their own grub as part of an annual competition in the city. The meal barrow are full of healthy fruit and veg with entries judged on Saturday the 2nd of July. 
The competition is organised by Leicester City Council's Sustainable Schools team in conjunction with Public Health. Schools were tasked with coming up with a healthy, nutritious and creative menu idea for a three-course meal and growing at least five of the ingredients they'd need. In South Africa, steps are being taken to improve media literacy in order to help combat fake news. A study conducted by researchers analysed the status of media literacy and found out that skills are not taught in high schools and universities and that a comprehensive national media literacy programme is needed. It also described teachers as the first line of defence when dealing with issues of online harassment, bullying and scams targeted at youngsters, so a comprehensive programme of training is needed. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. Dear listeners, welcome back after the news. I'm just going to try and introduce my guest. Um, my guest is a secondary school teacher who is actually working currently in Malawi, in Africa. And uh, she wanted to talk to us about behavior, but not only about behavior. I'm sure she has a lot of things to share with us. Um, so we're going to try and speak with her now and hopefully get some insight on how it is to teach in Malawi. I'm sure it's very different from my experience in an inner city London school at the moment. So um, Chloe, if you can hear us, could you try and join us? I'm seeing Chloe on Podbean. Hi, Chloe. Um, could you try and uh, call us if you can click on the icon with the phone? Uh, it said the call ended, so I think there might be some technological issues with network. So let's try again. Oh, it tells you to hang up, you're saying. All right, I can see you trying to log on and then it stops. So let's try again. I apologize, dear listeners. So as I was saying, Chloe is working. She is in a secondary school in Malawi. And I think she does teach drama, which is uh, an interesting subject to teach and I'm sure she has lots of things to share with us about it. I guess there's a lot of English as well when you teach drama, pronunciation, how to project your voice, some uh, very interesting skills for radio hosts as well. Um, all right, so let me try again. Ah, there. Well, Chloe, I don't think uh, the speaking is working, so let's try and use the chat, yeah? Um, for some reason, I, I just can't get you online. I don't know why, but you're here, so we can uh, talk 
um, using texting. So my first question, Chloe, is um, how long have you been working in education? All right, so 20 years. Wow, that's almost a generation. So you must have seen a lot of developments in education, lots of uh, uh, different ways of teaching, lots of different curriculum. I guess because uh, Malawi used to be um, part of the British Empire, I assume Malawi follows the British curriculum. Am I correct? I am aware that, uh, dear listeners, you can't hear Chloe. For some reason, she can't go online other than on the chat. So I'm just going to read her answers because I'm sure what she has to say is really, really interesting. I'm just going to re read her answers. All right, so... I was asking Chloe if um, they follow the British curriculum, and I think they do in Malawi. Okay, yes, it is. Right, so my other question now was, um, so you teach drama, so you, you do have to, to work on literacy in English as well. Um, how does... Um, what, what else do you do? What are your main responsibilities at work, Chloe? And I understand that Chloe is explaining that they do follow the British curriculum in Malawi, but obviously they have more freedom because they are not in the UK. So they, they just do an approximation of the British curriculum. So, um, Chloe says she's a DHT, which is an acronym I don't recognize, so she's going to have to explain it to me. A DHT? I should be familiar with all acronyms. Deputy head, of course. She's a deputy head. So you do have a lot of other responsibilities, not just on the curriculum, but on safeguarding and pastoral and I guess budgets and hiring. So you you have many, many hats on at all times, Chloe. <laughs> so um, I assume you, you're a specialist after doing this for so many years. Now, obviously, when I um, ask for people to come and talk to me on Twitter, my angle was the behavior because it is a major issues in most UK schools. As we know, it might also be one of the reasons why we have a lot of young teachers who do not stay after five years in the profession. So behavior is a big issue in the UK. Now, because you're in Malawi, I assume it is a completely different different issue. What sort of behavior do you have in Malawi? Do you have many problems with behavior the way we do in inner city London schools in the UK? Or is behavior a completely different topic in Malawi? All right, you know what, Chloe, I, I, 
I could tell you were going to say that. So Chloe is explaining that the behavior is very good in Malawi because the the children are very well behaved. She, she says they're amazing. And the reason why is because they value their education and they're excited to come and get a great education. Now, this is something that I've heard many times from teachers who are expats, who are migrating to other countries to teach. They say that the behavior is much better in other countries, particularly countries where education, mass education is just about starting. As we said, Malawi uh, made um, primary school education compulsory only in 2002, and it made free primary education in 1994. So this is a very young educational system. So it has, I guess, a lot of enthusiasm and behavior is thus very positive. All right. So um, a very, very privileged position in that sense to have students who are there and happy to be there and motivated. And I guess this is the main difference with the UK. One of my biggest hurdle as an MFL teacher, for instance, is that I have students who just don't see the point of learning a language. They just think it's a waste of time. They just think it's not something that's going to bring any, any positive in their lives. So I have to fight against a lot of lack of motivation and interest, which can lead to obviously disruptive behavior. Um, Chloe says, that her students are very thankful to have a teacher in front of them and that the ones who go to secondary school are aware that they are privileged students because remember only 25 percent of students in secondary schools in malawi actually attend education and pursue their education they are a minority not so different from if we look back uh, my grandparents generation in 1940s France, where only the richest or the most able could go and uh, sit for their certificat d'études, certificate of education. And it was a very tiny, tiny minority that even went as far as the lycée, which is the equivalent of sixth form. So we can see that in Malawi, it kind of resembles the state of French education in the 40s, where only the privileged and a minority could afford it went on to secondary school and then even uh, even less went on to university now my next question to chloe is um i assume chloe's school so far what i've seen on her website on the website of the school it's a fee-paying school so i was wondering what sort of students um does um chloe teach is it mainly students who are from an expat community so from asia or from europe or does she have uh, local people who really want their children to succeed and and maybe make a huge financial choice to to send their their children to secondary school so i was interested to hear what um chloe had to say ah so chloe says actually 80 percent of the students in her school are malawian so um i guess descendants of the bantu tribes who are the, the most uh, represented ethnic group in malawi and uh she says there's a big growing middle class ah so you see, we, we have some maybe prejudiced views that we think mostly 
private schools in Malawi are for expats, but no, there is a middle class now. And Malawians want their children to, to be able to compete on an international level. And this means that they want their children to go to secondary school and maybe university. And I know there's four major state universities in Malawi, and there's also private university. So um, Chloe says there's very few no, there are, there are a few expats, but not many. And um, she says something that I wish I could have in my daily practice. She says the parents value education because um, I had that discussion with a colleague last week. We have a big issue in my area of North London. And I mean, it's, it's a very local um, situation because I've, I've been told that in another borough, it's different. But in my local area, we have a lot of, te of, of parents, sorry, parents who are really against teachers at the moment and they don't trust us. And they always take the side of their children rather than the side of the teachers. So it leads to a lot of confrontations that should be, that should not have to happen and that um, hampers the, the way we deal with behavior. And I guess that Chloe doesn't have to experience that because the parents she deals with are thankful that their children get a very good education. Um, so Chloe says um, that they have a similar level of teachers. I guess you mean that they are trained exactly the same way as teachers in the UK. Is that what you mean, Chloe? I'm letting some time for Chloe to, to type. I don't know why um, Chloe can't interact live with us. Um, I think it might be something about maybe the network she's using or maybe her phone or something, but she's there on the chat. So we're very lucky that Chloe can interact with us anyway. So I was asking Chloe when she mean, what she means by we have similar levels of teachers. Is it because they're all trained and they all have done their PGC and they've all had a degree from a university? What do you mean by that, Chloe? Ah, I think we might have lost Chloe. I apologize for the delays today. Um, can I just remind my audience that I I am positive with COVID, so my pace is definitely a bit lower than usual, and my voice has been affected, so please, please be understanding. I'm not at my best today, and we seem to be having some technological issues. So I just want to go back on what Chloe was saying. She, she really wanted to say how amazing it is to have a student cohort who are willing to to come and learn and um, that the parents are very enthusiastic and delighted at knowing that their children are getting an education and uh, she is uh, she's very thankful for the students and the teachers in her school in Malawi 80% uh, of the students are Malawians and they really really value education they see it as a as a passport for their for their children to to become um, 
citizen of the world and to be able to compete with other students from different nationalities all over the world, compete for jobs and compete for promotions. So it's it's a very strong middle class that's growing in Malawi and that has education as a cornerstone of their development. So I'm afraid um, Chloe's network has gone down a bit. To be fair, she is on another continent very far away and we know how it is with technology. So um, I'm just gonna give her a sec to try and go back online. But I wanted to go to go back on the on what I was saying about UK situation. Um, it is really difficult to actually try and put in place a behavior policy that's resilient and that's inclusive when you have to fight so many different angles. And I mean, it's not just trying to deal with the students in front of you in the classroom. It's also trying to deal with the expectations from the parents. We have some parents who didn't have an enjoyable experience of, of schooling. So they come with their baggage of their own experience. And sometimes, I mean, they might have been students 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and they have a vision of education that has changed, but they don't always know how much we have changed in a school. So so they come with, with sometimes a lot of pent up um, anger or frustration. And uh, we had that with one parent who came and he was irate. He was really angry and he, he was he was shouting for half an hour. He was outside the school. There were two members of staff trying to calm him down there, but he was shouting and shouting and shouting. And all that anger and all that rage came from past suffering that he must have had in his education, in in the way maybe he was treated as a child or, or maybe the, the way school didn't support him in his endeavors when he was a child. So he came with that to the school and obviously, whatever issue we had with his child, all this past frustration came and was just, I would say, just spilled out. And um, the, I mean, I was really impressed by the staff in my school because they, they kept their cool, they were really calm and understanding. And, and, and now I've been told that they have a very positive relationship with this, with this parent. But it started... And you could see that when we deal with a student, we don't just deal with the student, we deal with his parents and we deal with the parents' experience of school and behavior. So it's almost an intergenerational behavior issue we're dealing with. Some behavior issues that happened maybe in the 70s or in the 80s or in the 90s are still influencing our exchanges with parents. So, so when, when um, ah, here is that Chloe online? Can Chloe, we can hear you, Chloe. Oh, that's exciting! <laughs> How wonderful! Hello, <laughs> hello, Chloe. Welcome. Oh, it's nice to finally be able to speak. <laughs> Indeed. 
So Chloe, you disappeared for a while and now you're back live. So it's wonderful and I'm really happy you are. Um, Chloe, I wanted to ask you, you said that you have a similar level of teachers. Do you mean by that, that you have teachers who've just done the same studies as any teachers in the UK? So we have, we try really hard to make sure we have a, a representative mix of Malawian teachers compared to expat teachers in our school. Because part of what we need to do is inspire our young people to see that they have a career and they have a future. So mm -hmm. um, we, we try really, really hard to make sure that we get as many Malawian teachers as possible in our school. So we, we're, for the moment, about 50-50, I would say. Uh, so you meant the um, where your teachers come from? Yeah, because, you know, 80% Malawian students, it's really important they see um, their own inspiration in the teachers that teach them. Yeah, that, that sounds wonderful. And you know, this is something I don't see often in the UK myself. Um, I happen to be very lucky in my current school. We have our student cohorts are mostly from um, issued from immigration. So we, so we have students from Somalia. We have students from Bangladesh, from um, South America and this is maybe one of the only schools where the um, staff is also from all over the place, from all over the world. So it is very representative school and inclusive school in that respect, but it's a very rare occurrence in the UK. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that you're trying to do that um, in Malawi as well. Yeah, um, we, we of course have a real range of teachers because um, expatriate communities can come from all over the world. Because we're we're a British international school, they we would like staff that have TPS. So we, you know, it's a fee-paying school, so parents are expecting uh, a high standard. Um, uh, and in Malawi, that the teacher training, sadly, in Malawi is, is a little limited. Um, mm -hmm. So you know, trying to grow staff and capture. When we do interviews, what we're really looking for is people who show that real promise and have a training program within school to make sure that they can meet the sort of international expectations. Yeah. When you said you were, um, you had 20 years experience, was it always in Malawi or did you work in different countries before? No, so before Malawi, I'd only worked in the UK. I worked in Enfield and Scotland. So now oh. sort of North Londonish areas. So okay, yeah, I know Enfield quite well. <laughs> yeah, so I've in two fantastic schools in Enfield, Kingsmead and Southgate in, in Enfield, and um, absolutely adored it. Lo lovely, amazing schools. But it had its fair share of behaviour issues. Yes, I imagine now you must enjoy this because you said behaviour was amazing, didn't you? Yeah, uh, the difference for me, I, I worked in Tottenham, I worked in a school in a complex school in North London in Tottenham. And as much as I loved them, loved the kids, uh, it was very hard. It was really, I was, there's no safeguarding need, so it was a very difficult um, job. Um, and, you know, at a certain point in your life, I just realised that me and my family needed to do something different. So we looked all over the world, and Malawi just looked like the most extraordinary opportunity. Um, and the, the biggest difference is that here I teach when I'm in a classroom. I'm a deputy head, as you know, so I don't teach as much as other teachers, but when I do teach, I teach. And I 
I don't have to worry about behaviour. And I'm not saying that there's never behaviour issues, of course there are, but they're so small and so easy to kind of cope with. And the big things that you have to worry about, you have to be your due diligence, but um but actually the, the joy of actually teaching, of loving the subject and spending time really thinking about what their lessons are going to lead to is just such an extraordinary experience having not really felt like I could do that before. Yes, I think this is what this is, is what leading a lot of teachers leaving the profession. It's because we spend too much time doing policing or handing mm. out pens rather than teaching our subject that we love. Yeah, and I don't think teachers go into teaching to manage behaviour. Teachers go into teaching to teach. And so it's such a sad state of affairs sometimes when you hear that great practitioners are struggling and leaving because they can't do it anymore. Um, In, indeed. Um, so I guess when you were, um, do you have some strategies that you used when you were in the UK that you still use in Malawi? Yes, I, I'm a real advocate for routine and I really think that all good classroom management is about setting expectations. You of course have to understand that every child is unique and you learn them and you get, you know, build relationships, but that's from a foundation of routine. And as a drama teacher, where you don't get to have them sitting behind tables and, you know, there's a lot more freedom in a drama lesson, routines are even more important structure and expectations. So every child in that classroom knows what's expected of them. The most important behavior strategy in a drama classroom is a stop signal. And mm -hmm. whatever is that's, you know, I, I see primary colleagues using it brilliantly. And then secondary colleagues often feel a bit nervous about using it for whatever reason. But I don't think you can have a practical lesson. PE teachers and drama teachers are very good at classroom management because they have to be. What do you mean by the stop signal? Could you explain it? So mine is three, two, one, stop. Um, oh, okay, counting down then. Yeah, whatever they're doing, a stop signal. Many, I've seen a really familiar one is just raising your hand in the air. So the students know that, oh, once the teacher's hand's gone up, they, they stop what they're doing, they raise their hand also. Or you might um, do a call and response stop. Whatever it is, it means that the students know that they need to stop whatever they are doing and pay attention to the next instruction. And in big classes, particularly, that's so useful. But it's also even in very small classes. Uh, I use it right through. I use it from year seven right up to year 13 because you just need to be able to call them to attention at the right time. OK, um, I mean, we, we use it with staff when we do CPD, to be honest. We, yeah. do, we do have to <laughs> when you have a group of humans, um, the same <laughs> strategies are very often needed. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to ask you then, um, so you said the same strategy. Now, how many students do you have when you teach drama? So in the school I'm in now, our biggest class size would be 22. Okay. Um, and then the smallest class size I have is three. Oh, there's other challenges involved in having such yeah. a small <laughs> group. <laughs> yeah, is particularly it for, for drama. I, <laughs> yes, I imagine. Um, Okay, so um, I guess you don't have to have a very um, 
you, you do not have exclusion, I guess, in your in your schools because of the the behaviour. You don't have uh, to well, have all do. the. Do you? We do have exclusion, yeah, because students, teenagers, will make silly choices. So there will always be children who do things that really rebel against the culture of a school. So there, there's always a need for those things, and it's very rare. Um, it certainly isn't something that takes up a lot of my time, but we do sadly have to exclude children sometimes. I guess it's a tool to protect the school ethos as well, and um, we can't not have it. Um, yeah, even though so it, it... there are certain values, aren't there, that, that you have to make sure the school adheres to. So we're a zero tolerance on bullying, and mm-hmm. we you know, we will always challenge that. We, we advocate a policy of restoration um, we have we're lucky enough to have a fully quali- qualified counselor at school who will do mediated conversations between students but ultimately there are some behaviors that aren't acceptable in a school society in a school community so we have to have our lines and we always you know we will suspend rather than perm- we, you know we have extraordinarily l- rare permanent exclusion but we still have that as part of our behavior policy and our behavior layers because you have to have that I'm afraid there are moments where you come to the end of the line with students oh yeah and if there's an escalation I mean we we do need to to think about ways to Mm. deal with every step definitely so um you say there might be um internal um, exclusion maybe for one or two days when they don't yep. go back in in the classroom do, do you use this we as use that sometimes it's as I say it's very very rare um and when I do think it's interesting having worked in just you know um as, as they refer to here as government schools but um you know it's fee, non-fee paying schools in in the UK so my only experience before Malawi was just as I would refer to it as a normal school. <laughs> um, but in terms of the fee-paying school, there is an interesting difference because the parents are paying money for their child to be in the school. So that, that does shift things a little bit when it comes to their children's sort of, if you like, challenging behaviour because even though parents are paying to be there, we have a we have the same level of right of saying, well, we are your child's behaviour isn't meeting on our expectations and we don't think that this is the right place for them right now. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic when it comes to fee-paying parents as opposed to non-fee-paying parents. I guess they, they don't ask the same, they don't have the same expectations when they're paying. It's so interesting, actually, because I only have Malawi as an experience. So as I said earlier, the parents are, a lot of our parents are paying what's a massive amount of their income to send their children to the school so that their children have the best possible outcomes. As you as you rightly said in your introduction, Malawi is not a rich country. It's, you know, so the parents that they, they, they scrimp and they save to send their children to our school. So if their children are rebelling against that as I say extreme, extremely rare but the parents they're so disappointed they're so upset that they're throwing this opportunity away and um, 
that was that contrasts greatly with um, children in the UK who, um, sadly, I think there's a lot of children who they know they've got a great education. They know they've, they're lucky in that they have, a, have teachers who care for them and are teaching them, but it doesn't have the same outcomes for them. So that's, that's fascinating. I'm sure there's a million doctorates that could be done on that. But um, the children in the UK are, they can be given some of the most amazing first-class, world-class education, but they know it won't necessarily lead to the same outcomes. Whereas the children in Malawi who get the education they get recognise the doors that it opens for them in a very, very different way. Yes, definitely something I was thinking about. Um, on Twitter, there's always these big debates about the same things that happen again and again. Uh, should we give pens to people who don't have them? Or should we? are we spoon-feeding mm. the students too much? Um, I just wanted to know, in your school, the students, are they given pens or do they bring their own pencil case? And are they make, made responsible for their belongings? What's their relation to the the equipment? Well, they bring their own, but there wouldn't be a second thought to give a child a pen if they needed one. It, it would just be, yeah, here's one. Um, it's, I've, I've, yeah, I found those Twitter conversations fascinating around pen usage. In the school I worked at before here in, in London, um, there was a prepared for learning policy and there were detentions if students didn't have equipment. And to my mind, having got out of that school, it just led to confrontation. confrontation. And I think the policy was extremely well-meaning. But my goodness, if we could have just given them all a pen every day, so they just learn. I think it would have made a massive difference. The, the confrontation was the, the worst part of it. But no, we just, if a child doesn't have a pen, we give them a pen. Um, but most of them do have pens or we, we I don't know, we just have it. We, we wouldn't ever stop them being in a classroom. The parents, I think, if you're fee paying a parent and you tell a fee paying parent, I wouldn't let them stay in the classroom because they didn't have a pen that parent would not be happy. Uh, so it's fascinating the difference between parents who pay and parents who don't pay. And of course, the parents in the UK are paying because they pay taxes. It's just not maybe seen the same way. I guess, um, I, as I was explaining, I don't know if you heard because we, we were struggling with the technology side of Podbean, but um, in my school, we have a lot of confrontation with parents because they have maybe had past difficulties in their own educational experience. So the, the, the word of the teacher is not respected and it's often um, contradicted. Um, so I don't think it's a taxpayer, I pay for your taxes, thus I have. It's more a complete mistrust in, in the institution, a mistrust mm. in the, the well-meaning of teachers um, to the point that we have we have uh, seen a child do something on the CCTV, and when we told the parent, the the parent said, "No, I don't believe you, Mister Head Teacher. This, this can't be true." Mm. So we have we have uh, some parents who just will never believe that their children are in the wrong, and yet they will always think that the institution is. So I guess it's it's different levels of um, confrontation with parents. Um, 
because even in private schools yeah. in in the UK you do have this I'm a consumer thus I have rights as a consumer but here mm. it's it's a bit different I guess I think what um to be perhaps a little political now I do think that there was a, a real change in attitude towards teachers professionals um th when Michael Gove uh, became education secretary you know when he announced things like um, that the teachers were the blob we we were vilified as teachers we weren't trusted anymore as professionals and that I absolutely saw a shift in attitude towards my professionalism towards my sense of honesty as a teacher and that was that was really hard that that made the job much more difficult um you, you, I don't get that in Malawi. I don't think you get that in other countries. Teachers are respected and trusted, um, regardless. Actually, uh, we we are professionals. We've got a good education, and and that's that again is a real joy in terms of the the job out here. But yeah, in the UK, it got worse and worse. Definitely, I noticed it. I went from being a head of year to being an assistant head, and. You know, having parents screaming at you down the phone because their child has behaved in a really inappropriate way, and for some reason it's the teacher's fault. It's it's exhausting, absolutely exhausting. And I heard that it's getting worse since COVID because a lot of us have had a tough time. Some of us have had mm. um, maybe less help from mental health services. So there's a, a lot of um, pent up anger. And it's people mm. on the front line, teachers, nurses, uh, people working yeah. in services who get the blunt of it and um, a lot mm. of verbal abuse. So definitely COVID hasn't helped. But please be political. I think it's great when we have uh, teachers <laughs> who are being political. I just love seeing how it's painted in a different way in different countries because obviously I read the news back in France and I read the news here. And here it's the blob. And in France, mm. it was the mammoth, you know, but the terminology okay. is similar. It's something that's just huge because, I mean, it's a, it's a big profession. There's lots of people who are teachers. Yeah. Something that's seen as unmovable and uh, maybe not really up for uh, new inventions and technology and moving forward. Whereas, I mean, I've been shocked at how fast the UK teacher cohort has embraced online education and developed new tools and i mean it was fabulous the inventiveness the creativity of teachers i'm sure yeah, you've seen still it as not well trusted with it no we still <laughs> you know we i have many friends left in the uk who who were teachers and just yeah it just that i was horrified to hear the demands placed on teachers to somehow because it's online I think the worst of it that I heard was this sort of ridiculous idea that because it was online it could somehow be one-to-one -one. so teachers were expected to go from teaching a, you know teaching a whole class to somehow this bizarre expectation of well it's online so therefore it's a one-to-one -one experience for my child and that again that's not that's not what teaching is but yeah the the blob thing that that was absolutely horrific as a teacher to be completely distrusted um and i think part of the issue as well with behavior in classrooms is 
it's a lot about relationships. It's building relationships over time. It's building expectations. It's building routines. COVID just destroyed so much of that, that um, children are coming back in and they're teachers and children. You know, there's teachers who, there's two years worth of teachers who don't really know how to teach in a classroom. So it's really difficult to establish those expectations and just the to have a government that doesn't then fully trust you to just get on with the job is horrible it is um i'm glad that i didn't have to go through that in the uk it wasn't easy here um we you know malawi has as we've we've experienced this evening it's really the technology in malawi is difficult internet (laughs) yes i mentioned this online teaching when children don't have data or even you know even our very affluent citizens can't afford a data package because it's one of the more exp- most expensive things to buy in Malawi is data um you know that didn't make online teaching easy but it oh, at oh, least I, I want to yeah, sorry. destroy us at the same time <laughs> I wanted to ask you Chloe because I know that in my in my father's country um he was from uh, Guinea Conakry. There isn't electricity f- for 24 hours every day. There's um, lots of cuts. So how is the electrical yes. access in, in Malawi? Yeah, so we, um, lots of Southern African countries um, call it load shedding. So you don't have uh, power 24 hours a day. Uh, and it depends on the season. So Malawi is hydroelectric power. Uh, mm-hmm. So the majority power in Malawi runs through the um the water system the lake system so uh it's there are seasons with better electricity than other seasons um so yeah we don't have power 24 hours a day most days at the moment we're going through a very bad patch of power in the country because we've we've experienced two very severe cyclones which um destroyed and a lot of the uh, the river structure so the hydro hydroelectric power doesn't actually work right now properly so yeah we you don't have you get used to it very quickly but you don't have 24 hours power in the school we run off generators um, and we have some solar power but again that's not guaranteed solar batteries are extraordinarily expensive and mm-hmm. also because it's been happening across the whole world the, the cost of diesel has uh, tripled in the last couple of months. So even running, even running a generator when the school when the, the national power is out um, is extraordinarily expensive. So we have to be very mindful of that in terms of our wages. And then sadly, in Malawi, we had a big devaluation of the kwacha, which meant that um, everybody's wages in real terms crashed in the last couple so we have our fair share of issues that we have to imagine but but not behavior (laughs) (laughs) well there's always silver lining as we said um exactly (laughs) and i i assume that food prices are as they're going up everywhere that might affect your anything that's imported as you described landlocked country so anything being imported has been affected by the cost of fuel um so that's that's gone up massively um if you are so malawi is um quite quite a lot of the 
economic structure is subsistence farming. So mm -hmm. if you prepare to live off the land, then it's not as um, difficult, I guess. But there are very few people these days that only live off the land, really. And even that has even getting fertilizer and getting different sort of medicine, um, just medicine. Yeah, I mean, the, it's extraordinary. COVID has been really interesting because as a country, we are one of the best countries for COVID in the sense of we have had very little compared to the rest of the world, but we still got shut down. We still um, have had very difficult issues with getting vaccines into the country. So, yeah, it's it's a fascinating place to live and work, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't go back to London right now. I still think that oh, is a lot better. It, it's tricky at the moment. As I said uh, in the introduction, we have the threat of striking. We have COVID, the seventh wave. We have politics. It's a scandal a day. Um, it's very, very tricky times. Um, so I guess I can understand why you wanted to try New Horizon. Um, Chloe, if I asked you, would you consider teaching in a UK school again, um, would you? I Part of me would love to, but I also, I, but also part of me can't quite imagine it right now. Um, it, it does seem horrific. And uh, I just, until teachers are left to do their job properly, I don't, I can't see me coming back without a heavy heart <laughs> mm -hmm. um talking about leaving letting uh teachers do their jobs properly there is a currently a um petition going around about asking for ofsted to be stopped what are your thoughts on the pressures on the teaching profession from ofsted i think ofsted doesn't make any sense um i don't I don't understand how you can come to a school for such a short amount of time and make any real judgment. Um, I think work, you know, school improvement partners make a whole lot more sense. If we want to improve education, it shouldn't just be a judgment based system. It, it's, it doesn't help. It doesn't, it doesn't improve schools. All it does is make the schools that are, can talk the talk shine. And it, I, I don't understand it. it. I've never had an offset experience where I come out understanding how they've benefited the school. It's just adding stress to an already extremely stressful job. So I think it's it needs reform big time. Um, I completely think that you need to have um, standards. I, of course you do. But having inspectors come in for a tiny, tiny amount of time and make massive judgments on a school that changed the lives of hundreds of people, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. Indeed. Um, I agree very much so, particularly when you think about the budget that Ofsted requires to function itself. Mm. It's such a... Just put that into more teachers in more schools. Yeah, or more counsellors, like you said, in your school, you have a yeah. counsellor on site who can deal with uh, pastoral and pastoral yeah. issues and well-being so that would be money well spent definitely yeah. um 
So how do uh, schools get um, evaluated then uh, when they're working abroad? Do you have a system or how is it, how is it working? I'm just trying to imagine a world without Ofsted. So in, uh, there is, there's nothing like that in Malawi. Um, there are, there's a the government body that, that can go into government schools. Um, we're, as you know, we're a private school. So what we actually do is we work, we currently work with an organization, organization called Cobis and they are a fairly small, but well established organization that accredit schools, if you like. And we, we find that having their partnership is very useful because uh, we're quite isolated in Malawi. There's, we are what well, we like to think we're one of the best schools in Malawi. <laughs> so, um, in, in terms of improvement, we have to look outside of our country to kind of keep up to date with what's going on in different parts of the world and keep improving. So COBIS is, they, they will come and visit and they will accredit you and they will guide you. And it's much more of a school improvement situation where they are able to sort of talk to you about these are the things that you're doing really well and these are the areas that we think should improve. So. Um, interestingly you pay for them to come so uh <laughs> you have to really want them to come but it's completely <laughs> it's like a consultancy um and also yeah, an objective pair of eyes yeah fresh eyes yeah. to look at yeah it, it does make will, sense they will come and help you understand where your areas of development need to be and they what they're after is a really honest conversation they what they want is for you to say this is what we think we're great at this is what we feel like we need to develop and they will put you in touch with people in different cobis schools across the world to do that job and that's where uh, offset could learn a thing or two because it's about joining people up with it you know this is where you are great well done this is where you need to improve here's some help and Ofsted doesn't do that. Ofsted comes no. in and gives a judgment. Yeah, it doesn't tell you, and this is what you should do to aim to be better. No, it doesn't. It just no. says this is where you're at. Um, I was wondering if there is a, a group of international schools you belong to, because I know that French schools all over the world uh, usually are uh, under the wing of the AEFE. Is there something for international schools that follow the British curriculum, more or less, um, a kind of umbrella of schools where they can just exchange uh, students um, with trips or um, expertise. Is there such a thing? We haven't found that yet in Malawi. Um, Cobus does some of that for us. There are other organisations that do a similar thing. We, we reach out as best as we can. Within Malawi, we try and make sure we connect with the schools that have got a similar um, vision to us, uh, which is which is quite hard because it is it is an extraordinarily poor country. I think it fluctuates between being the fourth and fifth poorest country on mm -hmm. the globe. It you know it really isn't a country with lots of um, investment in education. Um, so yeah, we we very much see ourselves as the leaders in that. Um, so we work with lots of schools that we hope hope to develop, and we work with we've worked with two of the universities here in Malawi on teacher training as well, which is a huge part of what we're trying to achieve is establishing the highest standard of teacher training in Malawi to help develop that as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to ask you, what do your students want to do in the in the near future? Where where do they see themselves? Do they want to study at university in Malawi, or are they all looking out? at other universities in other countries? What what do they think about um, their, their near future? The vast majority of our students will go off to university in the, the UK, America, South Africa, and say places like Kenya. Um, some go to University of Malawi, but, but the huge majority of them will go overseas to do their studies, their, you know, postgraduate studies. But what we... One of, our, one of our mission statements is about um, them coming back and to, to avoid that brain drain that you get in developing countries. So they come, our idea is that they come back after they've done their degrees and use their skills and expertise in Malawi to improve Malawi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess this is one of the biggest issues in um, the middle class in uh, in Africa on the whole continent mm-hmm. is that the the young leave and then they create roots in the countries where they study and then they yeah. settle and they don't always come back. I mean, I'm I'm an example. <laughs> um, exactly. <laughs> my, yeah, my father left um, his country and settled in France and only came back when he was very very old. So it's um it's also a risk it's great for the countries where the the young people are gonna settle down because they're gonna bring all their culture and their experience and and they're usually super motivated people uh, high achievers yeah. but it's it's a problem for the people left behind because they they do need uh, as you said the brain drain is is a very big problem that's a very for, real you know, problem for countries like malawi yeah Indeed. Um, so they are usually an international looking um, group of people, your students, for sure. Yeah, uh, I was wondering, um, they seem to be looking at English speaking countries, because obviously, um, Malawi has English as, a, as an official it's language. One of its, as, yeah, one of its official languages, yeah. Yes. Uh, do you teach any languages? Now I'm just talking about my own interest there. Um, yeah, we teach French and Spanish. Okay, but they're, they're not into uh, coming to Spain or France for their studies? They're just aiming for... Very hard for them to get visas. Ah, I um, guess, yes. So that's... But, but um, we have a fantastic careers officer at our school who recently took a trip to Europe and um, so we're building connections with universities in Europe particularly with the Brexit situation um, it's Mm -hmm. even more important that we develop our connections with European universities so she spent she spends time actually visiting universities there and uh, she recently came back from Barcelona and it's you know just understanding actually the courses available to students there are are brilliant you know they are fantastic opportunities so she's just trying just this last few weeks actually trying to develop some connections with some german universities and students get scholarships in european universities but that's something we're really trying to build because um a lot of the european universities will do some language acquisition courses as well so you you're probably more aware of this than me but you arrive and you get um you start yes. your course, English-based course, but you also expect you to do a language acquisition kind of route too. And that just, that seems to us like one of the best opportunities for our students. 
Yes, definitely. I always tell my English students who live in England um, that they should always look at European universities because we do offer the same courses as, as in English speaking countries for a much lower price. Yes, <laughs> so, <much cheaper. laughs> so I always yeah, advise definitely. my students think about studying in France or Germany yeah. or Spain because you'll you'll come back with a degree and another language and less debt. Yeah. So. Yes. So what's you couldn't really lose, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, well, thank you so much, Chloe. I'm so glad we managed to get the Me too. book into work <laughs> because we've tried, and uh, it was we difficult at the beginning. <laughs> I know, I know, and I'm I'm so glad you were resilient um, because you have such a great outlook on the educational system because. Obviously, you see it from a distance now, and you, I guess mm. all the idiosyncrasies and all the quirks are even more uh, predominant when you step back. Um, yeah. Because yeah, sometimes when, so we, yeah, when we're in the thick of it, we just take everything as normal. And then mm. when we step back, we realize, actually, we can do that so much better. And yeah. um, so, the, yeah, um, I'm glad you, you mentioned the, the pressure of Sted and also the fact that you said it was so hard to teach your subject in the UK because yeah. you had to do behavior management all the time, which is what we mostly do, sadly, yeah. Um, yeah. which resonates with everything we've been saying. Um, I know that research seems to say that behavior is not the major cause of teachers leaving the professions. Sadly, in my experience, when I talk to other teachers, I think it is. <laughs> it I don't really know what plays what's... a part. Exactly, exactly. So um, I always wonder, and who funded the research as well? You know, we need to be <laughs> objective. So um, thank you so much, Glee. Is there anything else you you would like to to say? Um, I know you're on on Twitter, so if anyone is interested in maybe. Um, about your school or when you mentioned that you were trying to find connections in European universities or mm. anyone is listening and um, wants to, to get in touch with you, uh, could you give us your Twitter maybe um, so that yeah, you, at, you can share it? Yeah, I'm at Chloe Doherty, so C-H-L-O-E-D-O-H-E-R-T-Y. That's my Twitter handle and uh, I'd, I'd love for people to reach out. I think most we can't pay as well as some other international schools because Malawi is not a rich country, but it's one of the most extraordinary countries to work in. Um, it's not called the warm heart of Africa for nothing. It's just the most extraordinary place. Very safe, very loving, very beautiful place to be. I have to say, I saw the pictures on your school website and the kids were swimming and they looked like they were having a great time. And it's um, great. Yeah, it is wonderful. <laughs> outdoor swimming pool. I mean, the, the luxury of the climate uh, in the first place. Well, um, this is a cold time of year here right now and we're all complaining about 16 degrees. So, yes, that will tell you how, how it is. But, you know, it, it could have been 16 degrees last Tuesday in the UK. So... <laughs> It's exactly. and it's the summer, so yeah. I, I'm Don't thinking about jumpers on. <laughs> yes, I mean I always have a jumper on anyway. So I'm thinking any any young teacher who might be struggling in the UK, thinking our oh, behavior is really having an impact on my mental health. They should maybe look to try and teach abroad to maybe realize so. that yeah, 
that's what you did isn't it and um you can yeah. love your subject and teach it in the in the right conditions and then hopefully the government in the uk will sit up and take notice and sort some things out and then we'll, well all come <laughs> we'll all come back <laughs> no actually i'd like a world where we can teach wherever we want and we don't yeah. have to stay in one place because i think we're citizens of the world aren't we yeah i've learned so much living in a different country more than i ever thought i would it's amazing i'm very glad i'm very glad things were hard in the uk and made me jump <laughs> was it the first time you lived abroad yes i've never lived overseas before yeah so Oh, well, you seem like you're uh, having a, a great time, which is great to hear because sometimes, you know, I mean, I just left France to go to the UK. It's not such a drastic change. Um, but I mean, you did quite a very different, you chose quite a, a different place. I mean, it's different climate, different yeah. uh, income status. I mean, the, the GDP must be very different and yet you're enjoying it so much. So you're yeah. definitely advertising for moving out and trying just, new things why not what's the worst yes. that can happen you don't enjoy it and you go back <laughs> you go back exactly yeah. um oh, i love your positivity thank you so much chloe it's a delight to meet you um, and that's the beauty of the internet we couldn't have done that Absolutely, 20 years ago yeah. that's um, so true <laughs> yes and this is why we are lucky as teachers in 2022 because we can do these things and we can share and it makes us realize how we i mean we still love our subject we love what we're doing and we love inspiring the children so yeah. there's hope there's always hope so Absolutely. thank you so much uh chloe You're very and welcome. i'm, I'm gonna really enjoyed it oh my pleasure um i'm gonna play the news again and uh, I wish you a lovely end of the summer if you're in the UK. And I don't know when you're, when is your holiday starting, Chloe? So we've only got four more days left to school and then we're on holiday for seven Lucky weeks. You. Lucky <laughs> you have got three weeks to go. All right. So enjoy your last oh, four days, me. Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. Well done. Keep going. <laughs> I will. I will. Have All a right, lovely day days and enjoy your holidays bye bye chloe and bye. Uh, for now listeners we are going to go back to the news this episode of teachers talk radio has been made possible with support from witherslack group the uk's leading provider of sen education and care they're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible.
stevewoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to Program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit stevewoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half-term and join me for two days and receive up to £1,360 in bursary. Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at stevewoods.co.uk. Here at Witherslack Group, we are celebrating the launch of our new Luxborough Court School in Chigwell, Essex, with a very special one-day autism conference titled Enabling Inspirational Education. Taking place on Wednesday the 29th of June from 10am at Luxborough Court School, our event is dedicated to providing practical advice to education professionals working with neurodiverse children and young people. The event is free to attend and presentations on the day will focus on creating cultures of aspiration and excellence, supporting the emotional well-being of pupils, autism-friendly classrooms and managing challenging behaviour. So, whether you're looking to add to your extensive understanding or are new to SEN and wanting to build your knowledge, our conference will offer an amazing opportunity to engage with experts and network with colleagues from across the sector. Don't miss your chance to claim your free ticket and we hope you can join us for what's sure to be a fantastic day. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash events to register or contact events at witherslackgroup.co.uk for more information. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. TES magazine reports on new data highlighting the extent of the problems faced by early years settings. New Ofsted data shows recent changes in the number of early years provider places in England is just the latest in a series of surveys, reports and statistics showing the impact of underfunding. According to figures between April 2020 and March 2021, the number of providers fell by 4,000. When confronted by provider closures, the government has been accused of arguing that all is fine because overall places have remained stable. The article argues that this ignores significant regional disparities. The article quotes figures from the Early Years Alliance, which shows that almost half of all local authorities recorded a drop in early years places over the past five years. This, combined with research by the Education Endowment Foundation, which revealed that the percentage of children reaching expected levels of development in all areas of learning by the end of reception, had also dropped below pre-pandemic levels. Neil Leach from Early Years Alliance said that the figures should worry all educational professionals and called for government action on what he called a sustained lack of adequate funding. As the end of the academic year looms for many or has just begun, the leading news website in Wales is reporting on the public consultation planned for the new academic year. The new consultation is set to explore options for changes to school terms in order to support curriculum planning and delivery, tackle disadvantage and support learner and staff well-being. This would include consultation on the length of school terms and, as a result, on the length of holidays. The NASUWT union has already condemned the plans to restructure the school year. In Leicester, schools have been growing their own grub as part of an annual competition in the city. The meal barrow are full of healthy fruit and veg, with entries judged on Saturday the 2nd of July. 
The competition is organised by Leicester City Council's Sustainable Schools team in conjunction with Public Health. Schools were tasked with coming up with a healthy, nutritious and creative menu idea for a three-course meal and growing at least five of the ingredients they'd need. In South Africa, steps are being taken to improve media literacy in order to help combat fake news. Researchers analysed the status of media literacy with issues of online harassment, bullying and scams targeted at youngsters, so a comprehensive programme of training is needed. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello! Last week... I spotted a tweet from Nathan Ginn. Some of you may know him from his Twilight Tuesday show here on TT Radio, others as at Nathan Lesson Copy. He tweeted, It's that part of the school year where it's uncomfortably hot at school and raining at the weekend. He's proven correct in most parts of the country for the past couple of weeks. The question this week is not, has Nathan jinxed us like Rihanna's umbrella song, but can tech keep us cool in the classroom? So, let's see if we can find out some gadgets to make baking in a boiling room with 30 kids cooler. Please note I'll only be looking at personal devices, not commercial cooling units. First up, if you have a spare 20 to 30 pounds and don't mind looking like you're about to enter a mini gurning competition, then perhaps a portable neck fan is for you. It looks like you're wearing chunky headphones around your neck and depending on speed settings can give you a light breeze to hero wind that will stand your hair on end for up to 21 hours. Driving away heat from your neck and face, USB rechargeable, this may be the answer for any hot-headed teachers out there. Next up, a portable evaporative air cooling fan. Again, depending on size, you're looking at 15 to 40 pounds. This works on having a small reservoir of water and a blind-like material soaking it up inside. Air passes over the water and gives a cool breeze when you're sitting in front of it. Having had one of these, I can say they do work, but the downside is people just can't look with their eyes. Inevitably, people will come to your desk, ask what it is, and pick it up, covering themselves, you, and possibly your computer in water. Also, if left over the summer without dry it out it will go a little green and need disposing of to reduce the risk of spreading legionnaires disease around your classroom if on a tighter budget a usb desk fan can't fail before you start pointing out that usbs are deactivated in your school the data transfer may be but the power will not so you'll still be able to power and charge devices over usb some come with docking stations making them more portable others are wired from five to twenty pounds these are more pocket friendly and also less hassle so if you're in need of a breeze as you wind up the year, tech can come to your rescue. Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us how you stay cool or ask me what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Thank you for listening to the Sunday Twilight Show with Maud. It was a delight to talk with Chloe today about her experience of teaching in Malawi. I wish you a lovely week until next Sunday. Thank you very much. Goodbye. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. 
Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.